Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. This week, how powerful are weather words? We'll get to that in a bit. Let's talk a little weather. Not too much, just a little. Nor'easter. Now that's a weird word, isn't it? Even in and of itself. What is that really? Well, it's a description for a particular area in the United States, the Northeast, obviously, Nor'easter. But it's about winter storms and a specific kind of setup of weather situation that causes them. And I guess you could even say it's not just the U.S., it's really Northeastern North America, includes Canada. But the long and the short of it is it's conditions that lead to a meaningful winter weather event. Because technically a nor'easter isn't, it doesn't have any specifics around it. But, you know, think a foot of snow, maybe. Think almost tropical cyclone or tropical storm force winds and greater. So did I have one? Did it happen? Yes, this week. I would, we had an event that would definitely qualify as that. Some places got quite a bit of snow. Saw some reports of up to between three and four feet. Saw a really neat, I got to find the link. Hopefully I'll find it and put it in the show notes. One of my meteorologist friends passed along a Twitter kind of time-lapse video. It wasn't theirs. It was somebody else that, you know, they had seen. And it was really neat because it was set up in this person's backyard. It's like a security camera, if you will, on the back of their house. And they have a lot of evergreen trees in the back. There were two things about the video that were sort of interesting. The other thing, they have like a deck, you know, off the back of the house where they could sit out and, you know, patio, have barbecue, whatever it is. But one of the things that really captures what's going on is this somebody who got about three feet of snow is watching the trees as the snow continue to pile up and how the limbs start to bend down. It's just kind of a neat effect. The other thing was watching this deck kind of fill up with snow. Because, you know, a lot of times railings can't hold as much snow. So the inside of the deck becomes almost as tall as, you know, the railings. Yeah, without snow, of course. But it was kind of wild. It's almost like a swimming pool full of snow, if you will. Some neat things. Where I was, it was was about eh, more or less a foot of snow. So it was a pretty meaningful snow. We didn't quite get to tropical storm force winds, but pretty close. You know, the closest real weather station. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later of where, when you see these storm reports, how all of a sudden do they seem to have all these locations that report these things, yet most of the time you only hear about weather gathered at the airport. And that's kind of what we're used to. And, And fortunately, I'm relatively close to a fairly large airport. So the readings I get from there are pretty consistent with where I was. We probably had maybe only about 10 inches where I was versus closer to a foot at that airport. And there's some reasons for that, just geography-wise of proximity to water and those sort of things. But nonetheless, it was good. And in that, there was also sounds that came across, and I hadn't really thought about it. You've heard me mention before how I think of winter storms as being a quieting effect. Yeah, if the wind's whipping around, you're not going to get that. But how snow kind of dampens the sound. Well, there was a flip side of that, and this was one of the reasons we didn't get a foot of snow right where it was, is we had some sleep mixed in. And that was a very audio reminder of what was going on. So that's going to cut down on the precipitation t- total, because it's much more condensed water, of course, than a snowflake is. 
but it was that kind of sound reminder that even a winter storm was going on. You know, you think so often with raindrops or even hail in the summertime, well, it's just this little sound against the window reminded me that winter weather was going on outside, even though it was dark. The other thing was the next day when I was walking around around the streets and I was reminded of how different cars sound when they're driving through the slush of, of snow being removed or, you know, it just starting to melt on the roads and how different that is than even when cars are driving through water or a puddle straight up. And I, and I don't know what causes all the acoustic differences, but I'm sure it's partially because of the structure of it's, it's sort of a semi-solid fluid with some airspace mixed in, but it is actually fairly loud. And I was reminded of another kind of sound of, of winter storms that, um, I don't know. I don't know if I like those sounds as much. Well, it always reminds me to kind of pay attention to how close I am to the slushing snow so I don't get sprayed. So I guess it's good from a warning standpoint. Anyway, it was a great storm for me. Uh, like I said, lots of people, it it shifted in its track a little as, you know, it finally came to fruition. And that's not uncommon for these storms either. A lot of times they end up being bust. You know, just the rain snow line gets so far removed that it doesn't deliver, if you will, on some of the high impact areas or bigger cities. But no doubt New York City got about a foot of snow and areas that weren't necessarily expecting as much got, you know, feet of snow. And so, yeah, I'd say it qualified as a real nor'easter. So I had some real weather going on. Lots of millions of people not too far away had some weather going on this week. I hope you've had some enjoyable weather. And while I'm talking about winter weather, I came across an article that I am going to put a link to in the show notes that talked about installing weather stations to measure weather at Mount Everest or around Mount Everest and the challenges that they ran into trying to do that. Apparently, when they went up the mountain, and, you know, no trivial exercise taking anything up Mount Everest, much less some, some weather station equipment or weather monitoring equipment. But apparently, the drill that they were using to mount the weather station the batteries froze because it was so cold. And wisely, somebody took the batteries and put them close to their body and warmed them up enough to get the drill to work. Yeah, little ingenuity at work, even in the cold weather. Good to see that happening. Good to see that they have those in place. What you may not realize is measuring and forecasting snow in mountainous regions is very difficult. Part of it is because we just don't have the measurements to calibrate other viable measuring techniques we have and in it it does depend where you are in the western u.s for instance there's, we have a lot of these things called snow pillows at different places that get more accurate snow measurements but a lot of times just the terrain differences can mean very different situations weather-wise in a very small space because you know you go vertical in a hurry well what the weather's like at the top mountain is going to be very different in the bottom of the mountain so having these measurements at different levels that are kind of a ground truth is very important because it's one of the few places in the world, you know, we can get above 8,000 feet. There's only so many, or 8,000 meters, I mean, only so many places, you know, on the globe that we can get up that high and actually get real measurements to determine how the weather models are doing. So it's good to have those things. And so I'm glad to see those are up there. All right, let's talk about weather words. Tis the season. Supposed to be jolly, right? But do weather words make you jolly? Now, I sent out a tweet, and I think I even mentioned it in a past episode, this, this paper that I came across, that talks about how do we respond when we see specific weather words. Now, i got to keep in mind that we're talking about 
visually seeing a word. This is not a situation where you're listening to a radio or watching television per se. It's, it's in print media, and that can be online or an old-style newspaper or whatever it is. But the idea is, this is, and I guess it could even be in social media, but it's not, it doesn't have an audio component to it. So how do we respond? What influence do the words that are chosen in a forecast have on how we might respond to them, what we may choose to do, how we feel when we see them. So what the analysis was is they took, I think it was about 420 college students at a university in the southeastern U.S. So it was a localized kind of analysis. They had 141 weather words or phrases, if you will. It wasn't always necessarily one individual word. And they looked at it across the metrics of of different types of responses we might have. Does it make you happy versus unhappy? Calm versus excited? Dominant versus a passive situation? And unsurprising versus surprising? And kind of rated them on those spectrums. And as I said, this was college students, so as you can imagine, they may have a response a little different, but let's stay with the idea first, and, and we can talk about some of the limitations or how they might want to look at it going forward. But really what we're trying to get to is, if you want to convey weather and climate information, because it wasn't just specifically about you know weather forecast, if you will, but if anything that would relate to weather and climate, if you're trying to get a message across to people with that information, how effective and what word choices might you use. And of course that's going to, and some of the benefit of this research is you might have a different purpose in mind than I do. If I'm trying to get you to, let's say react, I want, there's a tornado coming and I want you to get into motion to get to safety. That may be something completely different than I'm truly trying to help you understand you know, just what your general weather forecast is for the day with something you can do almost mindlessly. Or it might be somewhere in between. Maybe I am really trying to drive a decision response, right? Or you're reading the forecast to decide, do I need to carry an umbrella or not? Well, there might be certain words that you're going to look at and certain words presented in a way that will help you take action if that's what you're looking to do. And maybe certain words that you choose not to. And I'm going to put a link to the paper in the show notes so you can go and read about what they did because they took each one of these phrases and like I said, they put them on each of these spectrums. And what you get a sense of is how each one of them might be best used depending on what that outcome or that goal is that the communicator might have. Right. But I think what was particularly interesting is they kind of found that weather words fell into three different groups. So one of them is fair weather, you know, weather that's going on, but maybe it's not something that would drive you to feel like you needed to avoid it. Might be just the opposite, whether that you could plan on doing things that you enjoy doing, particularly outdoors where weather might be an influence. Then there was inclement weather. something that it's going to be wetter or less favorable for doing certain activities. 
And then, of course, there was severe weather, weather that really might need to drive a time-sensitive response, if you will. And by grouping them into the different categories, you can get a sense of how people generally, and again, everybody's a little different. Not everybody's going to fall exactly into it. I mean, the goal with any type of communication is the more people that you can collectively have in a process and reach your goal, that's ideal, right? It's not always going to be full 100% conformity or anything, but the closer you can get to that, it's better. So it allows grouping of these words, and you know, some of them may be beyond control, but if you're trying to invoke one response or another, you might find yourself dipping into different categories in the way you communicate, right? If you need to communicate something about a tornado that is informative, you're not going to want the word warning with it necessarily, unless you're trying to help people understand, but tornado warnings might invoke a certain response, whereas just the word um, tornado may not. This may not be the best example, but as as you can imagine, if someone is interested in learning about how tornadoes form, or be educated about what a tornado really is, they can do that in, in a way that's not consistent with somebody that you know, needs to act because they've got one you know, mile down the road that they need to take safety measures to avoid or to protect themselves from. And I think there's some relevance here that it could even play into artificial intelligence or machine learning in terms of how non-humans can more effectively convey weather data in automated forecasting systems, which... They exist. I mean, you know, these pools of, of descriptive terms, and you, know, you can imagine that basically a computer can go and say, "Okay, it's got. We've got these things that are showing up on the screen. How how do I convey to these the human population what it is we're trying to get across?" Right? And again, maybe also the source of who is trying to convey what type of emotionally based response because in the end words have that impact on us whether they're weather words or not right you think about anything you do during the course of the day and it can be weather it can be financial markets it could be politics it could be sports and we all know that there's we hear certain people that maybe are that's their stick right that are trying to drive an emotional response And they've probably tuned their vocabulary that they can take something that may seem boring at some level and make it particularly interesting because they're trying to grab you and hold on to you. And this might help them identify. So, you know, not always necessarily a good thing, I guess. Particular words to get you to react in a certain way. Now, I think it's important that you know, putting all this aside, and let's say that we have these great buckets and it helps all these people communicate wonderfully about weather in the appropriate manner, that this group of people was 420 college students. is more male than female, and I think the breakdown was it was more white than, than any other racial group was presented. And it was at a college that is located in the southeastern U.S. Yes, That college is a major university, and yes, they probably have people from all over the U.S. that were included, probably not a large global representation. Certainly only English speakers were probably, or English being at least a understood language for whoever was being surveyed. 
But when you look at it, they talked about that. They talked about, hey, maybe certain demographics weren't represented from a geography standpoint, right? So maybe somebody, people that are used to snow or people that aren't used to snow, because snow was one of the ones they found was interesting. Snow, even though it was an inclement weather thing in theory, that snow and snowy weather actually was in the fair category. And this probably has to do with people like me being interested in snow right? And maybe want to be out in the snow or enjoyed the thought of snow days. So it had a, a nostalgic, I think that was even the word they use, a nostalgic sort of reference to it. But I would also say that it's not just about the geography. It could also be about life experiences. And this was my challenge with only the university students is I think as we go deeper in life, we have more experiences that we may not have had otherwise that that might shape how these weather words work. And it might also have to do with the protective element that comes up with, for instance, being a parent or having someone that you've got to look out for their safety. So those words could have actually been shaped as you have a child, maybe your parent figure reinforced it in a certain way. But if you didn't have that certain type of weather, you may not have been exposed to that, of course. But also, I, you know, I think as we go through life, we, we hear certain things or certain phrases, and it may shift over the age group. So they, they acknowledge some of that, maybe not as in-depth of what some of the limitations might be. But they were the first to recognize that you know, a college student age group isn't going to necessarily see things the same way that everybody else is going to see it. That said, I think this is an interesting baseline to kind of reinforce what, what meteorology, the challenges that we face, because I've talked about, we've had communication episodes in the past where we talk about the challenge of trying to get people to properly respond. I mean, that, that's always the tricky thing because maybe we tend to complicate things particularly when you get the scientific element involved in you know, trying to convey it factually accurate, but convey it in a way that gets people to respond, but also, also not get that cry-wolf problem where people start tuning out if you use certain phrases over and over again that are designed to trigger a response, yet too often people have been let down because they didn't need a trigger. And I was thinking about, you know, snowstorms being one of them, you know, when this snowstorm started, this nor'easter I had the first kind of little burst of snow happened. And it was kind of like, Oh, please tell me that's not it because you're looking at it going, uh, okay. That's like a snowstorm in the South where I grew up and you know, yeah, everybody would have freaked out and everything would have closed, but it certainly isn't that big a deal. And, of course, it didn't finalize that way, but that's the sort of thing. If, if that's all the snow I'd gotten, everybody around would have been really angry that they, you know, we, things got closed down. And, every, and that's not a trivial thing. I mean, it, you know, it's all the cars are getting towed that are improperly parked and things like that to try to make sure that, you know, people are able to get around. And, you know, in retrospect, it, it ended to be the right call, right? But there have been plenty of times where it's not. So how we communicate to those people, emergency managers, might be very different than a set of college students as well because they need to react in a certain way. Now, they're going to be trained to look for more data, of course, or hopefully they are. But even that initial thing is we need to make sure that maybe different forecast types, as I said, are, are using a different collection of words 
And maybe that's the challenge, right? Or maybe it's the connecting words around these weather words that are more important. And I've mentioned this before when I was talking about likely versus probable versus different descriptors that we use that paired with the weather words are probably important. And maybe someone, you know, we should be looking at that as well. This is a very tricky topic, but all of it's very interesting to me. And, and I, you know, as I mentioned even earlier, I'd be curious to see also how we respond when we hear those weather words or when we are in a video standpoint where we hear it and maybe the background graphics, what are associated with the words and the forecast and all that and how all that comes into play. Yes, there's challenges in trying to evaluate all that, but these are first steps. And I, but I, I do think it's, a, it's an interesting approach to kind of take a topic like meteorology, because I think you could do it with any field, and say, if we're trying to drive certain types of responses or categorize things in a certain way, how do we most effectively do that? So kudos to them. And it was, it definitely was an interesting paper. So it's accessible online. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. And like I said, there's a table about what the words were. Take a look at it. And that kind of grouping of the words, it's also, there's a, a, a nice little diagram that puts that together. So even without having to read the whole article, you can get a sense of what's going on. You can kind of flip through and just go to the tables and the graphics if you don't want to read through the details. I always tell people when you're reading a scientific paper, probably the best thing to do is read the abstract up front. And usually those are online available, even if the paper itself isn't readily available. And if there's a conclusion or a discussion section at the end, also go through that because you can kind of get the key points. Yeah, you may miss a little bit of the detail, but for most people who aren't going to build on that research or aren't going to be getting into in-depth, but are more maybe users of the information, that's probably enough. So take a look. I think you might enjoy it. All right. going to let you go. Many of you are probably shopping right now, getting ready for the holidays that time of year. So I don't want to hold you up too much, but I'm going to leave you with a couple pieces of information. One is when these, you know, the storm that came through, it reminded me of something that happens. And I, and I came across another article that I'm going to put in for you to read if you want to about community weather reporting and the role it plays in our understanding of particularly not so many, maybe so much in the forecasting itself, but our understanding of weather events that have transpired but it can also influence our kind of a real-time understanding or near-term understanding of, of what's going on with the weather. And the storm system, a classic example, when I was reading through the storm reports, I was reminded of that because there's usually very few stations, like I mentioned, the, the airport stations that collect certain information. But we actually have these larger community groups that, whether it's someone who's trained in observing weather or whether it's part of a a very formal network, and, we, and there are a few of these, that actually essentially report the weather every day. And it's from more than just the airport, so it fills in the gaps. Now, I've talked about phones and other devices that are going to be providing all sorts of weather information, but snowfall is one that does remain tricky, right, because it can vary so much in little bands. And understanding that is very useful. And so these individuals who communicate that are very useful to painting the more complete picture. So if you're interested, take a look at that story as well. But lastly, I wanted to bring up a request that had someone pose a question. It's like, have you ever talked about the smell of weather? 
or have you done any episodes on that? Now, I, I mentioned to them that I have done, back when I was doing the videos at the very beginning, and I'll put a link in the show note to that episode up on YouTube, about the smell of rain, right? And the specifics about what drives that smell. But they brought it up with snow. So I'm curious, because I want to do, I can do a more in-depth episode and be glad to do it. If you have other kind of weather-related smells, right, or things that you associate with a certain type of weather, please pop me a note. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? Let me know because I'd like to fill out that episode because I think I'm going to need to broaden it beyond just just the snow component. I mean, I could delve into that. I don't want to just drive everybody crazy. Too much snow focus probably lately anyway. So I do want to make it broader than that. So if you have something, smells, weather, pop me a note. Let me know. What is about the weather at gmail.com? Or you can hit me up on Twitter as well. You can send me a message there. What is about the weather? Or Mark underscore Jelinek. You can pop me either one of those on Twitter. I'll take it either way. But until next time, may your winter weather, your summer weather, your gloomy weather, your bright weather, your fair weather, your inclement weather, your severe weather, may they all drive a situation where you never really thought about the connection between weather and life because they're out there and there's new ones we're talking about all the time and they happen every single day but it's when the aha moments happen that we go oh yeah hadn't really thought about that before that are to me the most interesting and while we talk about them here and it's all because there's much more to weather than the weather itself <laughs>